0: Welcome back. So I was away all summer, but I'm back and ready for another year. Let's talk about the summer and answer some questions. Okay, so a few things will be different this year. You'll notice we have a shorter intro, and we're going to be coming to you on Fridays now instead of Thursdays. So let's talk about the summer. First, let me just chat with you a little bit about my summer. So some huge changes for me. One, I started a production company. So now I'm not only producing this podcast plus the other two podcasts I do, I'm editing other podcasts for people as well. And my goal is to help people get the Christian message out there. So if you're thinking about doing a podcast, let me help you. One of the things I'm doing is taking messages from preachers and producing them into a podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, please contact me and I'm going to have a link to that below. The second thing I did this summer is start a church history podcast. And that will be continuing through the school year. We started with the time between the Old and New Testament And now we're all the way up at the story of Augustine. That's going to be coming out within the next couple of days. So I'll put a link to that podcast below as well. You know, I was talking to a friend this week, and she said she always hated history in school. It was so boring, it was hard to learn. But when she talks to me about history, it sounds so interesting. And I don't know why school makes history so boring with dates and names and maps. Really, what history is, is its stories. And it's the story of us, the story of how we got here. It's the story of everything. And as Christians, the story of the church is the most important story for us to know. So like I said, I'm going to put a link to that podcast below. Please check it out. I'm also working on writing a book about church history, and I will let you know when that's coming out. The third podcast is, of course, our Gifts from God podcast, where we talk about adoption and we talk to families who've adopted. That one's not going to start up again until October and I'm working on some great interviews and I can't wait to share those stories with you. I also started working part-time outside of the house this summer and I haven't worked outside the home since we adopted a few years ago. So really, it's been kind of an adjustment. And of course, I'm still a wife and a mom and keeping all the things together in the home that a wife and mom does. And for all the moms out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So life gets really full sometimes, but hey, we wouldn't want it any other way, right? So that's what I'm up to, and that's what's been happening around us. Well, what's been happening in Canada? Let's talk about that. Well, here in Canada, we're supposed to be getting ready for an election next month. Most people I talk to don't even know there's an election coming up. The Americans are not voting until November 2020, and they've been in full election mode now for a long time. We are seven weeks away from an election. We're just not very good at election hype here in Canada. All right, so what are people talking about? Well, the West is frustrated because even if every seat in the West goes to conservatives, it doesn't matter because all the seats in Quebec and Ontario outnumber the rest of the country. And so those two provinces, Ontario and Quebec, really decide who becomes the Prime Minister of Canada. And Ontario and Quebec are huge liberal provinces. So Alberta is talking again about seceding from the country. Now this talk does come up every few years. The liberals in Ontario are trying to use Ford to scare people. First, let me say, why exactly are people shocked when a conservative does what conservatives do? And let me explain this. The left wants lots of government control. And the right wants little government control. Here is how I explained this recently to somebody I was talking to. Every time you hear a politician say they will give free fill in the blank, you need to change that to we want to take control of fill in the blank. So free daycare means we want to take over the daycare system. Free university and college, we want to take over the university and college system. That is the left the right says we want to give control of these things back to you. So when the conservatives defund things, what they're doing is giving control of those things back to us, the people. Now, these defundings are supposed to come with tax cuts. Lots of them. So to be fair, people would feel better about Ford's cuts if they came along with tax cuts. You have to do both. Now, the education cuts are a little bit different. I keep hearing stories on social media about Ford cutting things in the education system that not only has he not cut, he has no power to cut them even if he wanted to. The teachers unions put out a Facebook video saying Ford has cut out after school activities from the schools. No, he has not. And he couldn't even if he wanted to. This is a school board decision. There's also a letter circulating on social media from a student who showed up on his first day and a bunch of his classes had been cancelled and now he doesn't know if he can graduate. The school told him Ford had cancelled these classes. Ford did not cancel these classes. That's not how it works. The school and the school board cancelled them and they're screwing with students in order to make them hate Ford. That is gross and that needs to stop. Another school change that did come from Ford is the ability for parents to withdraw their kids from the sex ed class. Also, gender identity will not be taught until grade eight. I am glad that parents can withdraw their kids and I'm glad little kids are not being taught gender identity. I am not thrilled it's being taught in grade eight or even high school for that matter. Now, when I talked about this on social media, I had teachers and parents tell me at their school, they were always given the option to take kids out of sex ed And their school didn't talk about gender identity. Therefore, this is a non-story. So, two things. One, that is awesome that your school still supports family and understands that parents are still the ones responsible for their children. You should be very grateful and very thankful, as I'm sure you are. Two, that doesn't make this a non-story. A parent in Toronto tried to take his children out of the sex ed class and the school refused. The parent then went to the courts and the courts said he could not take his children out of the class. A parent in Ottawa is suing their school because their child who had showed no signs of gender dysphoria suddenly made a drastic change and began struggling with gender dysphoria and they found out that their six-year-old was learning in her class that boys and girls are not real and that what they are inside doesn't match what they are on the outside the child ended up needing psychological help to deal with the trauma. So awesome if your child's school is not one of these schools, but that doesn't change the fact that these schools and these stories are real, that they really happened. And it's not just in Ontario. In BC, a junior high student was allowed to change her gender and her name without the parents knowing anything about it but then the school took the girl to the hospital to receive treatments to change her sex. The parent found out and then tried to stop the treatments. He went to court and the court said not only was he not allowed to stop his daughter's treatments, he was not allowed to misgender her or call her a her or use her female name. And if he did that, he would go to jail. Also, If he gave her any information about the possible bad side effects to this treatment, he would go to jail. This is what the court system said to this father. So over the summer, Alex, as she's now known, is officially chemically castrated. She will never have children. She's 14 years old. 14! Now, is there any chance she might think differently at age, I don't know, 25? but by then it will be too late. She will never have children. So in Canada, we have a problem and your school might be amazing. And I hope it is, but that doesn't mean we don't have a problem with our Canadian school system or with the gender ideology that's being taught. Ontario's curriculum, by the way, was overseen by a man who is now in prison for running a website that taught people how to groom their children so they could be sexually assaulted. Now, whenever I tell people that, this is what I hear. Hey, he didn't write the curriculum. He was just the politician in charge of the curriculum. Come on, don't be stupid. I've worked on teams that write curriculum. The person in charge hires people who have the same belief system he does. And then they oversee everything. If a person was so sick and twisted that they helped parents groom their children so they could sexually abuse them, it's pretty reasonable to believe he was pretty excited to get his hands on the province's sex ed curriculum. And it's pretty reasonable to think he knew exactly what he was doing, getting very young children to talk openly about sexual things and believe they were old enough to make adult decisions about their sexual nature and gender ideology. By the way, this argument of, well, my personal story is different, therefore your story is not true, is probably my biggest pet peeve to have in any argument. I get this argument at times, like when I talk about women under Islam who are arrested, whipped, and beaten for not wearing the hijab. People will say, well, I have a friend who wears one, and she's not forced to, so therefore Islam doesn't force it on women, it's a choice women make. Great, good for your friend, doesn't change the fact that other women are currently serving 12 years of jail for being in public without wearing one. Taking your personal story or a story of someone you know and saying, therefore, this is how it is, that's not logical or a good argument. Anyway, all of that is to say that in Ontario, at least parents can take their kids out of a class for sex ed. And at the very least, it's a little better, not great, but better. So what else happened in Canada? Well, since we kind of touched on the trans topic already, let's talk about Jessica. We first heard about him when he took female wax specialists to the Human Rights Tribunal for refusing to wax his male genitalia. Yes, Jessica is a male who self-identifies as a female. A few reasons this is stupid. One, you can't force a woman to touch male genitalia. And secondly, waxing female and male genitalia is completely different. Different wax, different technique, and doing it wrong can lead to serious injury, and the women were not trained on male genitalia. But the story didn't end there. Jessica also tried to host a topless swim party for girls only, age 12 and up, and no parents were allowed to attend. Now, this was shot down once the public got wind of it. Then he went on Twitter with a picture of himself next to a pool with the caption that he couldn't go swimming because he had his period. You're a dude, and dudes don't get periods. Then a bunch of text messages came out with him having very inappropriate conversations with very young girls about sex and their periods, and specifically tampons and pads. He actually seems to have a fetish of some kind with tampons, and it's super creepy. Now, Jessica comes from BC, and there's another story coming from BC about trans rights. Before I tell you that story, I need to remind you of a story we talked about last year. So here in Ontario, a young lady went to a woman's only homeless shelter for rape victims. She had been raped and had left an abusive relationship. She was getting help and starting to heal, and that's when she got her new roommate. This roommate had a beard, wore big heavy work boots, talked to his pregnant girlfriend on the phone, and slept in the bed next to this woman. Of course she was upset. This was a women's only shelter, but this obvious man identified as a woman. And when this young woman complained, she was told she would be taken to the human rights court if she complained, and that she was the one breaking the law. Now, think about that story as we look at another story in B.C., The Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter is the oldest rape crisis center in all of Canada, and they have the policy, women only. Now, they made that a little more clear recently when they said they will help anyone who is a biological woman. Then they made it even more clear. If you have male genitals but claim to be a woman, they will not help you. Basically, they're going to help you if you are a woman. Now, a man who identifies as a woman named i'm going to pronounce see if I pronounce this correctly Morgan ogre ogre is a unique name for this person. He's been fighting to have them closed down and he's gotten government to take funding away from them on top of that, the shelter has now been vandalized, and the term that people are using for the shelter is turf. So if you haven't heard the word TERF before, this is a term used for feminists who think trans are ruining female rights, with things like taking over our sports, ending female-only spaces like bathrooms and female shelters. These people are now called TERFs. So that's a question Canada needs to answer. Where does women's rights end and where do trans rights end? What about the states? What's been happening over there? Well, we could go on forever about that. I mean, the Democrats are on a race to see who could be the most radical socialists. It's kind of nuts. But we're going to talk about that another day. One of the stories I want to talk to you about and make sure that you are aware of, because I think it will affect us in Canada. And that is a story coming from California. And once again, we're talking about the school system. So they have changed their school curriculum and have changed spelling and pronunciations of some words like woman. Now, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, so I'm going to spell it for you. Woman will now be W-O-M-X-N. So, W-O-M-X-N. And the reason for this is because they don't want the word man in woman. And that's just one of many changes. One of the other words being changed is history. History is now going to be H-X-R-S-T-O-R-Y. So, Hick, Hickstery? history story, Hickstory? I don't know. On top of that, kids are going to learn things like capitalism is racist. The curriculum also tells teachers what to do if parents and community members are hostile to this field of study. There's also be something called the privilege walk. And by the way, this privilege walk video keeps popping up on my Facebook feed because everyone seems to be loving it without seeing how blatantly racist it is. And this is the walk the students are going to be forced to do. Now, if you haven't seen this, this is the video where everyone stands on a line and they ask you questions like, do you have both parents at home? Do your parents help you with homework? Have your parents told you you're pretty, smart, or capable? If any of these things are true of you, you take a big step forward. But you take a step back for things like, have you had to miss a meal because there's no food, etc. Now, in the Facebook video, All the white kids walk forward and all the black kids are stuck in the back. Now, think about that. Do you not see how racist that is? The video basically is saying white people make good parents and black people can't raise their children. But even without the racist video that everyone keeps liking and reposting, the idea behind this is that you should feel guilty if you come from a good family. Families are bad because they give some kids an advantage over other families. And on top of that, it's now privileged to be in a family, a family that loves you, meets your needs, clothes you, maybe visits a museum occasionally. That's something that's considered privileged. Maybe we can stop attacking and tearing down the family so that this can be the norm like it used to be. How about that as a possible solution? Now, the other thing being taught is a new word. Now, I'm going to explain to you what this word is before I tell you the word. Think racism, except against animals. So, racism means you believe your race is better than any other race. That's gross. It's disgusting. It has no place in a Christian life. But this new word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it for you, anthropocentrism. I don't know. They couldn't come up with a shorter word for this. Anyway, this means it's the belief that human beings are the most important entity or species in the universe. So, if you think humans are more important than animals, you are anthropocentrism. Now, there's a PragerU video where they ask people if your dog was drowning and a stranger was drowning, who would you save? A shockingly large amount of people would save their dog and let the human being drown. Now, the California school system will be teaching this, that of course you would save your dog. To say a human life is more valuable than a dog's life, let's try that word again, is anthropocentrism. Okay. Another ridiculously long word they've come up with is cis heteropatriarchy. It's like the patriarchy, but with cis people. Now, if you don't know what a cis person is, thank your lucky stars that you haven't heard this yet, but it's a female who knows they are a female or a male who knows they are a male. So, basically, the first entire part of this podcast about trans people in Canada would be cis patriarchy That, of course, will be taught in California as a very, very bad thing. So... That's what happened over the summer in the States, and at least that is a new story I think you should know about and you probably didn't hear about. Now, remember, if this is coming out in California, this is what you're going to be seeing in your TV shows and in your movies, so think about that before you turn on your TV or watch a movie. Now, I was going to talk about what's happening in the world, and I was going to spend some time talking about the Amazon fire and the environmental movement but we're going to end up doing that next week because this has already been a very long episode and I want to spend a lot of time talking about that. So next week we're going to be talking about some environmental stories and a horror story about a lab who's taking aborted babies and using them to make rat-human hybrids. True story that happened this summer, but that's going to be an entire podcast topic. So, Make sure you subscribe so you can hear that story next week. Also coming up in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about Brexit and the whole history behind it. Now, normally I will tell you a story that explains the history behind the news story. I know I didn't really do that today, but I was just kind of summing up a few things that have happened over the summer. And I'm going to talk on one more topic before we jump into uh, the question time at the end. I'm going to talk about what's been happening in our churches. Now, first of all, shockingly, Benny Hinn came out with a video this week saying he is sorry for preaching prosperity gospel and he believes it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Shocking. Honestly, at one point he was saying, it's wrong to say give a thousand dollars. And I was just waiting for him to say give two thousand dollars. But he didn't. He kept saying, do you hear what I'm saying? This is wrong. Now, this is an interesting story. Interesting, in that we need to see what comes next. Now, Benny Hinn's nephew has been speaking out about his uncle since he walked away from the movement years ago, and he has a book coming out with all the behind-the-scenes stuff about Benny Hinn. So there's a pretty good chance Benny Hinn is trying to apologize ahead of the book that's coming out. Still, is there a possibility? That this is the end of the prosperity gospel because that would be amazing. Over the summer, prominent Christian preachers, singers, and Christian influencers have walked away from the church. Lots of reasons why this is a story. But one of the things we need to remember is we need to be followers of Jesus and not followers of other people. Also, maybe our churches need to have some theology. Now I hear people say they don't like theology or churches can't preach theology because it's too complicated. It's too divisive. So churches instead need to give a how to have your best life message. Now theology is the study of God. So theo means God and ology it's this discussion or the study of. So theology is literally the discussion and the study of God. God. If someone says they don't like the study of God, they don't like the discussion of God, they are probably not Christians. How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow in our love for God? By studying his nature, by having discussions about who he is. How do we become narcissist Christians? By saying we want messages about us. We want messages about how to make our lives better. Make me feel good. Make me understand me. Don't study God. Study me. Sorry, church. If you can't see the problem with this, that's a problem. And here is where I use the term entertainment gospel. I believe the entertainment gospel is as dangerous as prosperity gospel and quite frankly has the same root. It's harder to spot and it's in more churches. Now, an entertainment gospel doesn't say anything wrong. It's not what they say, but rather what they don't say. The idea and the goal is to fill the church. Numbers, that's the goal. The goal is not changed lives, it's people in the seats. So we have great music, awesome lighting, even bouncy castles and cotton candy. Now I love good music and for me personally, to be honest, it is a pretty big draw to a church that I'm going to attend and there's nothing wrong with great music. In fact, there's a few singers at my church and when I find out they're leading the singing, I'm so happy. Because they absolutely glow with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can see and hear their heart cry for the love of Jesus. And the music is great. And quite frankly, I am a fan of that type of music. And there's nothing wrong with lighting. Although I wish our churches turned lights up a little higher because I hate dark churches and it's not sinful to have the lights on mood setting. And of course, there's nothing sinful about bouncy castles or cotton candy. The problem is, We don't talk about sin because that will turn people away. The problem is we don't teach theology because the study of God is too boring. The problem is that we don't call people to repentance. We don't have an altar because it's not hip. It's not trendy to have an altar. The problem is we take Christianity and we try to make it cool instead of what it is. The gospel is offensive. It was offensive when Paul preached it. It is offensive around the world, as even today, people are killed for preaching it. But here in North America, it's not offensive. It's entertainment. If the world doesn't find your version of the gospel offensive, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that probably touched on some toes, but stop and think about what I'm saying. In our churches, let's stop entertaining. Let's bring back theology, the study of God. All right, now I want to answer some questions. I'm going to do that more this year. So make sure you send in any questions you'd like me to answer. So this weekend, I have a question from someone who's been a listener since the very beginning of this podcast. I love it when I get to talk to her. I'm not going to use her name because I don't know if she wants to be using her name or not. But here is what she wrote. I've been reading lately about scholars and archaeologists denying the history of the Torah because they haven't found archaeological evidence of the Exodus and the wandering in the desert. How would you answer that? First of all, great question. I absolutely love this question. First of all, let's talk about Exodus and the wandering in the desert. So God gave uh, the promised land to Abraham. Um, Abraham then went from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the 12 tribes of Israel ended up in Egypt because they were getting away from a famine. And then the people lived in Egypt for 400 years. They were turned into slaves. They escaped slavery. And so the Exodus is the Jewish people leaving slavery in Egypt and traveling back to the promised land. All right, that was a quick version of that, just in case you didn't know what we're talking about. So there are archaeologists who say there is no evidence or they can't find evidence of these people wandering around in the desert. So let's look at the year that this happened. So this happened in around the time of either 1446 BC or um, 1512 BC. That means it was either 3,465 years ago or 3,531 years ago. So the chance that you wouldn't find proof that people who lived in tents and didn't build any permanent structures while they traveled around a desert over 3,000 years ago seems reasonable. That seems reasonable to me the fact that you don't have anything left behind. They don't have proof of this because they were in a desert and they didn't build any permanent structures and it was over 3,000 years ago. Now, some people say, hey, wait a minute, somewhere between 1446 and 1512, Uh isn't the fact there's a 100-year possibility here of a time gap, doesn't that a problem? Well, archaeologists don't have a problem that the Egyptian king Menes... They know he lived somewhere between 2,450 and 5,004. So it's a couple thousand year possibility. But archaeologists don't have a problem with that very big date gap. So really only a hundred years gap is actually looking 3,000 years ago. That is pretty close in, um, in the time of that that probably happened. If you're thinking, well, all these people wandering around in the desert for 40 years, they had to have left some things behind. And actually, they have found proof that there was a group of traveling migrants that were traveling around the desert at this time period, and they have found things left behind by this group of people. But they don't believe that this group was as large as the Jewish people who were traveling. So really, it's not that the archaeologists are unsure if there was a group of people traveling around the desert at that time period. What they are saying is that they don't believe that a group of people that large were traveling around the desert at this time. So it's the amount, the numbers is what they are actually uh, don't believe. So here is why I believe the Old Testament story. First of all, I would say the fact that the story is in the Old Testament is in itself a good reason to believe it's true. Now before you blow me off for that... Think about this. People act as if the Old Testament just showed up in the last century, but it didn't. Imagine if you were on an archaeologist dig, and you found a history book dating back to thousands of years ago, and this book named leaders of their country, detailed wars, and detailed surrounding nations. Would that not be an amazing find? Well, the Old Testament has 39 books and each of these books are filled with the names of leaders the names of nations details about wars and also cultural things like poetry and proverbs and the old testament is in itself an amazing look into a group of people that lived thousands of years ago and there are hundreds of names of people and long lines of genealogies in the old testament now that's the part most people skip over in the, when they read. But think about it. Think about why it's there. Because the Old Testament is a record of a group of real people. Now do you think they would write a long list of genealogy of names that they were just making up? Does that even make sense? We don't have to dig the Old Testament out of the ground, but that's actually part of what's amazing about it. The Jewish people took more pride in their literature than any other people group in the history of the world. They had very strict laws surrounding their literature. Here are a few of those laws. A scribe had to study for years before being able to work as a scribe. All copies of the Old Testament had to be made on clean animal skin and all string used to bind it had to be done with clean animal skin all columns had to be equal. The length couldn't be more than 48 to 60 lines. They had to use black ink. No word or even a letter could be written by memory. Literally, they had to look and see S, write S. CK, write K, C Y, write Y. And then at the end of each word, they had to say it out loud. S-K-Y, sky. Then it had to go through a review within 30 days and each letter had to be checked. And if even three letters were wrong, the entire scroll was destroyed and it had to be done again. And there were more rules on top of that. And in the 1940s, there was a boy playing and he found a cave. And when archaeologists went into the cave, they found Old Testament scrolls dating back to 300 years before Jesus was born. And what they found was that the Old Testament we have today is the same one they had 300 years before Jesus was born. So we know the writings we have today are the same as the ones they had in the Old Testament time archaeologists who don't believe in the bible will say they've not found proof that people walked around in the desert but let's talk about what they have found so they say hey we haven't found proof people walked around in the desert okay but what have you found well they found a subscription of a man named Goliath and when they dated the material the subscription was on it dated back to the time and the place of the biblical story of David and Goliath In the 1990s, they found a reference carved into a block of a house called the House of David. They have uncovered Hezekiah's tunnel and you can walk through it now as a tourist. The city of Jericho has been found and the city of Babylon was found in the 1990s. And in the city, they found references to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. For decades, the Bible had been mocked because archaeologists said if a great nation like Babylon, that nation talked about in the Old Testament, was real, we would have discovered it. And then in the 1990s, they discovered it. And as a side note, Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild the city, and he got a bunch of it rebuilt. And then during Desert Storm, the American troops used part of it as headquarters. And today it's empty, but a lot of it is ready to be used, which is interesting, since the book of Revelation says the great city of Babylon will be used in the end times. Just this year, they found a passageway. They uncovered it under the city of Israel, and it confirms many stories from the life of Christ. I know that's not the Old Testament, but still, it's pretty cool. And this passageway is going to be open for tourists to travel in the next few months. So watch out for that. There is one story of chariot wheels being found in the bottom of the Red Sea. This was discovered by a man named Ron Wyatt. Here's the possible problem with this one. One, he was a Christian trying to find proof of the Exodus. Now, for people who say that since he already believed the story of Exodus that made his discovery void, you then have to say that skeptics who say... That they haven't found anything yet proving millions of people traveled across the desert. Since they already didn't believe the story, their lack of discovery would also be void. Either all people with pre-belief systems are void, or we allow people to have pre-existing belief structures. But the second problem. Some people say it's coral that's shaped in the same shape as the wheels found in ancient Egypt, and others say they've discovered other remains in the bottom of the Red Sea. To be fair, I've read both sides of the argument and I'm not sure if I would say it's determined yet what exactly happened. Although, Snoops says it was an article posted on a satire news site and people passed it around thinking it was true. Now, that is clearly not true because Ron was a real man and archaeologists have been discussing his findings for a long time. Another reason the Old Testament is proof of itself is the fact that both the good and the bad of the Jewish people is written down. Now, if you're going to make up stories about how great your people are, they're going to be great. But the Bible is full of people who are doing evil things and the God who keeps loving them anyway. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, there's really more negative stories about the Jewish people than positive ones. And we tend to, in our churches, only talk about the positive ones. But as a history book, it's brutally honest about the faults of its people. Now, do you really think you would make up a story about David having killed a man so he could marry his wife, who David was having an affair with? Doesn't seem like that's a story you're going to make up. Okay, so there's two possibilities. One, Jewish people made up stories, very detailed ones, listed hundreds and hundreds of names and ancestries. All the begats in the Bible. They made them all up. They wrote down poems and proverbs and said kings that never existed wrote the poems and proverbs. Then they created laws about how to copy these made-up stories so they would never be lost. And these made-up stories were preserved all the way to today. There's one possible. Or a group of people wrote down the history of their people in great detail, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They wanted the history of their people to never be lost, so they created laws and systems to reproduce original copies to make sure we always had the original version of all historical documents. I don't know, I'm going to go with the documents that they have so carefully protected over the years over an archaeologist who doesn't have any proof people were walking around the desert 3,000 years ago. All right, so that's today's episode. If you have any questions you want me to answer, please send it to Lee lauralee at lauraleesiemens.com. Make sure you check out our Church History podcast. Like I said, I'm putting a link to that in the show notes. And for more podcasts, blogs, and videos, and how I can help you create your own podcast, check out lauraleesiemens.com, and I'll see you next week.